You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hear that? Is that America cheering or a sausage patty sizzling to perfection? It's time to cheer for Egg McMuffin and fresh cracked eggs at McDonald's. It's time to wake up to the aroma of freshly baked biscuits and treat yourself to a real honest-to-goodness morning meal. Breakfast, it's on at McDonald's. Now enjoy a large iced coffee for just 2 bucks and a breakfast sandwich to make a meal. Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Help Jews in Poverty at HelpJewsNow.org. Your $25 gift today will help provide a life-saving food box to Jews in need. Be a blessing right now. Visit HelpJewsNow.org. That's HelpJewsNow.org. Dispensing cannabis business knowledge beyond a million square feet of cultivation space, CannabisRadio.com proudly presents Blunt Business, harvested by Strainwise Consulting. Together, we will navigate the challenges and opportunities of one of the most profitable industries on earth. Join us each episode to hear our weekly roundtables and interviews with industry professionals. Now, let's delve into some blunt business with your host, Sean Eubanks. Thanks for joining us and welcome to Blunt Business Radio. I'm your host, Sean Eubanks, Vice President of Strainwise Consulting. And on our show today, we have Jay Kotzker, General Counsel of Strainwise Consulting. The founders of Strainwise were among the early pioneers involved in the marijuana industry in the state of Colorado. They have branded and supported nine medical and recreational marijuana dispensaries and approximately 290,000 square feet of sophisticated and efficient product cultivation. Strainwise has been involved in submitting over 190 applications in various states with a success rate of over 95%. So Jay is, an ex- is experienced in all areas of intellectual property and cannabis law, including brand development and protection. He guides clients through cannabis business licensing, compliance, and operational issues. He has an LLM, an international property law from George Washington University in D.C. With respect to cannabis compliance, Jay has been an active participant in various state and local stakeholder working groups, which are vital to the drafting and revising of state and local laws affecting cannabis businesses. Jay is an expert advisor for supported businesses on legal developments and regulations affecting production, transportation, microbial potency, and pesticide testing, and compliant handling and sale of cannabis and cannabis products. He's drafted numerous standard operating procedures affecting pesticide use, green waste, and legal compliance, touching all areas of compliant cannabis operations. 
When Jay's not in the office, he enjoys spending time with his wife, three children, coaching soccer, mentor, mentoring high school high schoolers, and enjoying all the outdoor activities in Colorado. Welcome to the show, Jay. Thanks, Sean. Appreciate it. Yeah, I know you're a busy guy, so I really, really appreciate you coming on. Uh, so what are we going to learn today? Well, there's a, a number of things we're going to learn, but um, as an attorney, first, there's a, a little legal disclaimer that I've got to get out of the way. I hope, um, hope you don't mind too much. Um, generally, this, the material provided uh, in our interview and our, our talk today is, is for informational purposes only, not for the purpose of providing legal advice. Um, this presentation and anything that any of the listeners use with it um, is not provided in the course and does not create a constitute an attorney-client relationship. Um, it's not intended to convey or constitute legal advice, and it's not a substitute for obtaining legal advice from a qualified attorney. Obviously, um, we're talking about a, a very lucrative and high-risk uh, and complex uh, area of the law, and I would, I would suggest that anyone looking to protect their brands or enforce their brands um, in this business or any other business for that matter would seek a qualified professional counsel on, on your specific issues. Um, but to get back to your question, Sean, what are we going to what are we going to learn today? We're going to learn about intellectual property. Um, it's a passion of mine. Um, it's it's where my uh, focus in the legal field has been for um, ten years now, and the interplay into the cannabis space has really been fascinating and, and very intriguing to me. So so what were we going to cover? We're going to cover um, all types of intellectual property. Um, you know what what different types of intellectual property are there? Um, how do you use the different, uh, the different types? When can they be, be employed for um, what specific uses? How you would enforce those rights? And um, we'll talk about some interesting case studies um, involving strain-wise um, and trademarks and copyrights in general as it relates to cannabis law. Okay, and so we'll discuss protection for new cannabis varieties, maybe protection for growing methods as well? That's right. That's right. So we'll discuss generally some, some patents. Um, there's a couple different types of patents, utility patents, plant patents, design patents. Um, we'll discuss trade secrets, uh, trademarks, um, which is it's just big in this industry right now. That, that obviously encompasses uh, the big branding component that everybody is, is focusing on as um, expansion across the country um, progresses. And we'll also talk generally about copyrights as well. Great. So in regards to patents getting started here, uh, what's a utility patent and plant patent and design patent and why is that important for us to know? Right. First, I think it's important to understand that patents protect inventions. Okay. Um, when we're talking about intellectual property law, we're talking about generally, um, you know, just in inventions of the mind. Okay. So whether it's um, in the case of patents, we're talking about um, utility plant and design patents. So utility patent uh, protects most types of traditional inventions. Um, think of a new type of a light bulb, a chemical compound, um, a new process maybe for extracting a compound from a plant, which is very relevant here. Um, with plant patents, um, we, we use them to protect new varieties of asexually vegetatively produced plants. Um, think, for example, a, a new rose bush or a fruit tree. Um, one of my personal favorites created by the University of Minnesota is the Honeycrisp apple that's protected by a plant patent. And then we've got design patents, um, which are used to protect new non-functional designs of tangible items, like uh, a particular shape of a pair of sunglasses. Um, that variety of patent is not as relevant to um, the cannabis space, but we will touch a little bit on it. And so is there a difference between a hemp plant and a marijuana plant when it comes to patents? There absolutely could be, um, depending on whether we're looking and talking about a utility patent for a new cannabis strain, or we're talking about a plant patent for a new cannabis strain. Um, for example, a utility patent um, covers a, a, a cannabis plant containing a particular 
you know, perhaps a cannabinoid and terpene oil profile, um, something that hasn't been obvious in the industry or hasn't been created in the industry before. Um, with a plat- plant patent, um, we're talking about uh, an asexually produced plant um, that maybe is a, is a new cross, a new strain, a new genetic profile of the plant itself. Okay, and so we've talked a little bit about protection for new cannabis varieties, protection for new growing methods, um, other types of protection that, that might be available. Kind of, uh, let's dive into utility plant uh, patent, plant patent, and design patent, and how those are different and, and relevant. Sure. Um, let's talk a little bit about um, the plant patent, the plant patent for uh, first. The um, <laughs> For example, there's a, a recent one that was issued on December 20th, 2016, um, patent number 27475, which um, is a really boring sounding plant patent name, but it's for a cannabis plant named Ecuadorian sativa. Uh, it was a cross-pollination of uh, a couple different varieties, uh, Celestial Temple sativa and an Island Sweet Skunk. Um, it gave an F1 generation named Pleidian that was a hermaphroditic, um, which is what you're looking for. It's an asexually produced plant. Um, there was one female plant found in this crop that was asexually produced but through cuttings, and then that was uh, used to make this Ecuadorian sativa strain. This strain is, was novel and not, um, not known in the industry. It had a very low CBG um, cannabinoid profile, but high limonene and a low micrine profile. So, um, you know, there's a real focus in the industry on terpene profiles and and um, really messing with the cannabinoid profiles of specific plants to treat um, specific maladies. And I think what you're going to see is a revolution in these plant patents for um, these types of um, new strains in plants. So do you see it being medically driven in the way that, okay, it, it addresses these symptoms and now it's available for a patent? Or do you see it as kind of like the Ecuadorian where it's it's rare anyway versus like a blue dream or a more well-known strain that's going to be harder to get a patent? Or is that a is that, the, is that the truth? Well, I think what you'll see is a little bit of both. I think you'll see um, the scientific and medical community really um, digging in and focusing on a plant patent that has a specific profile for a target um, patient base. Um, you know, for example, maybe you have people that have Crohn's disease that would really benefit from um, a certain um, cannabinoid profile um, and, and perhaps even a terpene profile. Um, in, in different mixtures. And so through that research and development, they may be able to come up with a plant patent that treats that specifically. Um, what I think you'll also see from a more, um, you know, a, a more consumer based, uh, recreational based, um, you know, industry leaning is that you'll see people, um, coming up with new strains of patents, uh, new strains of plants rather that, um, you know, have maybe a, a new high THC profile with a very interesting terpene profile. So you're going to have you know, connoisseurs that would want this plant variety for uh, its specific taste and its specific cannabinoid profile, irrespective of, of the medicinal benefits that it may have. So I think you'll see a little bit of both. Okay. And is this patent a federal patent that they got, or is it just for the state? Um, so you can only get a patent on the federal level. Um, patent rights are not conferred on the state level. So everything that we're talking about today is conferred through the um, Patent and Trademark Office in Washington, D.C. Okay, and so walk me through this. If I've got so I'm growing Blue Dream inside uh, Colorado. It's it is it is the most popular strain in Colorado. Uh, the way we grow it is better, in my opinion. So I want to go ahead and patent that. Is that possible, or is it just too well known, too gen- gener- generic? I mean, 
what are my challenges there? So it, it, it's interesting because the, pro, the, uh, the legal standard for a patent is that it has to be new, novel, and non-obvious. Um, those all are terms of art used in the, in the legal industry for um, intellectual property, and they all have specific meanings. But um, if you had something that was already generally known to the public that had been on sale um, you know, to the public or disseminated to the public, it's not likely that you'd be able to secure patent rights for that. Um, I'll go back and, and give a little bit more information too. The patent itself doesn't give you the right to do anything. It gives you the right to exclude others from making it or using it or selling it um, without your permission. Um, and you know, the process itself um, takes you know one to two years to get your patent and can, and can range anywhere from, from 3,000 to 6,000 um, plus dollars. Um, and then generally a utility and a plant patent will last 20 years from the date of filing. So you have, um, you have an incentive to invest, um, you know, R and D dollars into developing the new, these new plant strains, um, in that if you came up with something that met the new novel and non obvious standard, you'd be able to exclude others from producing that. Um, obviously, um, it's difficult to prove, for example, that, you know, uh, and a grower in Oregon is perhaps, you know, infringing on a patent that you have and created that you that you've been growing and, and selling in Colorado um, you'd have to get down into some very um, uh, in-depth uh, DNA testing of the plant itself okay we discussed a little bit about patents um, what is intellectual property kind of an overview of that as we as we dive into the subsets here I thought we skipped that so intellectual property is, is um, it just protects creations of the mind um, We've been talking about patents, and those are inventions. Um, we talk about literary and artistic works. Those are copyrights. We're talking about designs and symbols and names and images used in commerce. Those are trademarks. Um, what's important to remember is intellectual property is an intangible asset, um, but oftentimes it's the most valuable asset a company owns. Um, a prime example of that is Coca-Cola. The brand name itself is, is worldwide famous, right? The logos, the, the script writing that Coca-Cola is written in is famous in itself. And then the trade secret formula um, itself, which has been um, held secret in confidence um, by the company for over 100 years, all of those assets combined together make up the most value of the Coca-Cola company. Um, if they didn't have protection on those various pieces of their IP portfolio, um, they, they would not be as successful as they are today. Okay, and so going on to patents now, we've we filed an application with or you there. But what the patent give? Um, we know it excludes others, but what does it give you, and, and how long does a patent last? Right, and we touched on this just a couple seconds ago. Um, it gives you the right to exclude others from making it or using it or selling it without your permission, um, which your permission usually comes in the way of a royalty or a licensing agreement of some sort. Um, and like we said, the utility and plant patents, which is um, most relevant here, they last 20 years from the date of filing. Um, as far as how you go about securing one, um, we talked about a little bit that they're granted by the US Patent and Trademark Office. Um, in order to obtain those rights, you have to file an application and demonstrate that the invention is useful and novel and not obvious over what was already known in the industry. Um, for plant patents, this standard is easy to meet unless you sold the variety you know, more than one year before you file your patent application. 
Excellent. Well, we need to take a quick break, but when we come back, we'll be rejoined by Jay Kosker, General Counsel of Strainwise Consulting. During the break, check out their website, www.strainwiseconsulting.com. We're going to talk about why you need to focus on IP in the cannabis industry, as well as cannabis patents and trade secrets when we come back. Rolling into some sponsors, but we'll be right back with more Blunt Business. Are you disturbed by the prescription medication commercials on television and their endless list of side effects? They go on and on and you end up having to take multiple pills to counteract the problems caused by the first pill. It never ends. Have you looked into CBD as a more natural option? At Saturn Ranch, we produce all-natural CBD topicals and THC-infused edibles. Premium lab-tested hemp-derived CBD is the most important ingredient in our products. From topical bombs, salt scrubs, bath-soaking salts to tinctures and edibles, you're sure to find something to help. Family-owned and operated, we at Saturn Ranch believe in and use our products daily. Don't put anything on your body that you wouldn't put in your body. SaturnRanch.com The Cannabis World of Tomorrow converges for the first ever Southeast Cannabis Conference and Expo in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, June 9th through the 11th. Register right now at seccexpo.com. TV talk icon Montel Williams, NFL All-Stars Ricky Williams, Marvin Washington, and Kyle Turley lead some of our top-tier panels in industry information, athletics, real estate, technology, medical research, and more. Meet hundreds of vendors and thousands of entrepreneurs at the 2017 Southeast Cannabis Conference and Expo in Fort Lauderdale. Last-minute registration is open now at seccexpo.com. The next generation of vaporizers has arrived. Vuber vaporizers are blazing the way with unparalleled technology for oil, concentrate, or dry flower pens. Providing unsurpassed customer service and expert craftsmanship, Vuber Vaporizers use cutting-edge technology, providing a power-packed, smoother vapor with a lifetime guarantee. Experience vaporizing the way it was meant to be, the Vuber way. I hope you didn't forget about us, because we're back with Blunt Business on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back to Blunt Business. I'm your host, Sean Eubanks, and we've been talking to Jay Kosker, General Counsel of Strainwise Consulting. So let's dive into trade secrets next, Jay. Sure. And this is um, also a very important component of an overall IP portfolio. As we mentioned before the break, um, you know, Coca-Cola's, one of their, their primary IP components is their trade secret on their secret recipe so that nobody else can create the Coca-Cola product that tastes exactly the same way. Um, trade secrets in general, they protect confidential business information. Um, this business information provides a company with uh, a sort of competitive advantage. Um, in addition to the recipe for Coca-Cola, let's think about KFC's secret recipe, right? Mm-hmm. Um, these types of things are a little bit different than, than traditional intellectual property, such as trademarks and copyrights and patents, in that there's no filing that's necessarily required. Um, what they're used to protect are, are business information, pricing information, suppliers, customer lists, um, processes you would perhaps use in a cultivation facility, um, new, any new methods that a company would develop, uh, which will not become publicly disclosed, perhaps a new um, mixture of nutrients to, you know, to obtain that, um, that elusive three pounds per plant, you know? Uh, Excellent. So, so along cultivation and, and, and improved methods, that that seems like it'd be very difficult to prove. I mean, what if I'm using an irrigation system that's different? Or, I mean, how do you see that as a challenge to actually prove that what you're doing is worthy of a patent, or it's a it's an actual trade secret? 
Uh, sure. I mean, one of the components of how to protect a trade secret um, is you just have to protect it from public disclosure. Um, you have to make sure your employees are aware that you view something as a trade secret. Um, you would have a, a confidentiality, a non-disclosure agreement in place, perhaps that all of your employees or cultivation staff, um, as the case may be, would sign, uh, indicating that, look, the process that we're using in this cultivation facility, we view it as proprietary. We don't want it to get out to the public. And um, therefore, you're going to take uh, a specific number of steps uh, in-house to protect that information from being disseminated. Okay, so very intelligent to have all of your employees on a non-disclosure agreement at the GROW, correct? Absolutely. Not only at the GROW, but I would say company-wide. Um, you know, this is an industry where people are learning new things every single day. Um, you know, the research and development, um, the advancement in technologies in this, you know, industry-wide uh, is growing at an exponential rate. Um, so having your employees understand that, hey, what we're, what we're developing and curating in-house here is very important to our competitive advantage is vital. Do you know an example of, or something that we've dealt with at, at StrainWise where uh, we had an employee leave and go and take some IP or some trade secrets that way? You know, we don't have any specific examples of that, but we can, you know, we can show that, um, that there have been employees that have left and certain cultivation techniques or, um, or things that we have been using, um, you know, in some of our supported cultivation facilities have all of a sudden popped up in other cultivation facilities. Now, whether that was um, through disclosure of, of trade secrets or that was mere coincidence, I, mean, I, I don't think we were able to tell that definitively. Yeah, because even though a trade secret does give you confidentiality, there's nothing that can stop your competitors from independently developing the same processes, right? That's right. And it, you know, and again, ultimately, you'd have to prove that they um, obtained your trade secret through some unlawful disclosure of, a, of an employee, a contractor, or someone that was in your facility, which is difficult to do, um, but not unheard of. Okay. And how long does a trade secret last? You know, the great thing about trade secrets, Sean, is they last as long as they don't become publicly known. Uh, as I mentioned before, the Coca-Cola recipe has been maintained as a trade secret for over 100 years. Um, they have taken very, very um, robust steps to protect that. I've heard that the actual recipe is locked in a safe somewhere near their headquarters in Atlanta, Georgia, and literally only a handful of people company-wide have ever had access to that. Um, people in the production facilities that are actually making the Coca-Cola only know a small component so they couldn't go out and, and make Coca-Cola themselves. And so Coca-Cola is a famous example of, of obviously, obviously secret sauce. I guess KFC could be another one. These are foods. Is there anything on the agricultural side or in can that's cannabis specific that you that you can think of that could be a legitimate trade secret? Sure. I think anytime that you have a proven cultivation method, um, a proven um, you know nutrient feeding schedule. Um, a proven um, mixing of various nutrients to produce the the biggest flowers or the you know the healthiest the healthiest plants you can. All of that is considered trade secrets, and provided it's not known outside of your company, um, is protectable. Okay, and let's move on to trademarks now, as as it relates to branding, because we talk a lot about branding on this show and in general with our clients. Uh, so let's kind of dive into to trademarks for branding. Sure. So a trademark is is a word or a phrase or a symbol or a design. Uh, or a combination of any of those. Um, and what it does, it identifies and distinguishes the source of the goods or services from one party from those of another. 
Um, for example, the, the mark Strainwise is a registered trademark. The, um, the hexagon logo that Strainwise has is also a, a protected trademark. And what that's conveying is um, a, a source of services, consulting services, branding services, you know, facility design and build out services that our company provides um, that are ding- distinguished from other people's uh, services that, are, that may be similar. And so we've had to enforce our trademark in a couple of different ways. Um, talk about, I know we, we, we dealt with the NFL a little bit, um, but there was another company where we were, uh, we were dealing with uh, here in Colorado. Uh, can you talk about that? Sure. Without, without getting into the company name or the, the specifics of it, uh, I can say that you know, we've got a, um, an educational campaign called Consume Intelligently that um, is protected by federal trademark. Um, it's been widely disseminated around the state. Um, in other states, it's actually been adopted by local jurisdictions um, as part of their public education campaigns. And we've seen others in the industry using um, things very similar. Um, we've seen people use, for example, consume responsibly. Um, and we view that as um, not necessarily um, nefarious out of the gates. I mean, we'd like to think that people in the industry are generally supportive of one another and, and want to encourage growth across the industry. Um, but it, part of your trademark rights do require you to police your trademark and enforce it when you see that someone's using something uh, confusingly similar. Uh, in this case, we sent a cease and desist letter, uh, worked it out with the other party, and um, and everybody's happy. So they were agreeable to that? Absolutely. Okay, and now talking about the NFL, we did an ad one time. Um, we were trying to – you ever see that thing where, where uh, I was in Pittsburgh a couple weeks ago, and it was if you – if so-and-so hit a home run during this inning, you get a free burrito from a, a famous taco place. Um, seem, seemed pretty um, legit, but it, it made me think about it in a different way. Haven't heard, haven't heard your story you're going to share with us. Uh, talk about the NFL and how we got sideways with them. Sure, yeah. Early on um, in the company's uh, existence, um, we had been um, promoting um, the dispensary services of one of our supported clients. Um, part of that uh, included a promotion where if the Broncos won, then there were certain deals you know, the following morning, on a Monday morning or a Tuesday morning if they had played Monday night football. Um, we had crafted these advertisements um, using the Broncos' name, not any of their trademarks, and we had also um, you know, done the advertisement in the familiar uh, blue and orange of the Broncos. Um, the NFL and the NFL offices back in New York did not take kindly to that. Um, in, they sent us a nice letter indicating that they believed that we were um, using the Broncos and using the NFL's intellectual property um, to somehow um, promote our company to um, advise the consuming public that there was an affiliation between the Broncos and our dispensaries um, and to otherwise, otherwise playing off the goodwill that the Broncos and the NFL had developed in that brand. Yeah, and in that situation, we might disagree with them, but the idea is just to play nice and get along. Absolutely. I mean, obviously, you don't want to go fighting the NFL. Um, It's certainly not a legal battle that we wanted to get into. Uh, In the end of the day, we agreed to remove any sort of references to the Broncos or the NFL, and then we we modified the color scheme slightly so that it wasn't um, exactly the same orange and blue as the uh, as the Broncos use. And then we you know modified the advertisement to read, hey, when the local team wins, you win. And so how do you get a trademark? So, Sean, trademarks exist at both the state and the federal level. Um, With respect to the state trademarks, um, you have to be using the mark commercially in the state to obtain trademark rights. Um, You identify that by using the the superscript TM. You don't actually get a a registration certificate from a specific state. 
Um, the state registration system is really more of like a, a notice system to other people where you're claiming trademark rights and they would be able to go and search a trademark database in that specific state um, to find out whether there was something confusingly similar out there. Um, many states have the uh, state trademark registration system. Um, specifically, um, they'll take cannabis trademarks, Colorado, Washington um, being prime examples. Um, now that's a little bit different than on the federal level, the federal level, you have to register your mark with the patent and trademark office. Um, and the rights are a little bit different as well. A federal registration gives you the right to use the mark nationwide. Uh, it gives you the right to challenge infringers of the mark in federal court, uh, and the ability to make your mark incontestable, meaning your exclusive right to the mark cannot be challenged. Um, incontestability is a little bit of a trickier issue. We won't get into it too much here today. Um, but it's really reserved for people that have been using marks on a national level um, for a, a number of years. Okay, and then you don't recommend people go on this at their uh, at their own pace and try to do it on, on your own. You obviously need an attorney for this, but if someone was going to try to forge through this, I mean, if they made a mistake on a TM when it was really a copyright or something like that, do you get guidance from the state or at the federal level to help you, or they just kind of say, look, you filed it wrong, it doesn't count? Uh, on the federal level, you would actually want to submit a specimen, which is um, you know an advertising piece. Maybe it's a website, maybe it's a brochure, maybe it's um, a promotional banner or some sort, um, showing how the the trademark is being used commercially. Um, that's the that's the big kicker with trademark law is the mark has to be used commercially. Um, the Patent and Trademark has made it very clear that they're not going to be a warehouse for just just storing people's trademarks that they hope to use one day. Um, so you have to be using it commercially, and they want to see that you're actually using it commercially. Hear that? Is that America cheering or a sausage patty sizzling to perfection? It's time to cheer for Egg McMuffin and fresh cracked eggs at McDonald's. It's time to wake up to the aroma of freshly baked biscuits and treat yourself to a real honest-to-goodness morning meal. Breakfast, it's on at McDonald's. Now enjoy a large iced coffee for just 2 bucks and a breakfast sandwich to make a meal. Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Okay, and then first to use use or register the mark um, through the federal um, application process. You have to advise the Patent and Trademark Office the date that you first used the mark anywhere. Maybe that was an internal um, discussion. Maybe that was your initial mock-up of something. Um, and then you have to show the first date that you used it commercially. When was the first date that you sold a product or a service in interstate commerce that had that mark affixed to it? And those those uses um, go to determine your um, your superiority rights if there are other people coming with similar marks. Okay, and so an example of like a brand name would be like Big Buds, right? Right, and you know that's another thing is is to receive trademark protection, your mark has to be distinctive. Um, there are a number of different types of trademarks. You have, you know, fanciful marks, arbitrary marks, um, distinctive marks, descriptive marks. Um, in the case of big buds, um, it could be that that mark is too descriptive of the product um, to to obtain federal trademark rights. Um, there were some issues um, talking about geographical descriptiveness um, back in the day with Nantucket Nectars. You might remember them as a, a juice company. Yeah. And um, they, they were initially refused trademark protection because um, their juice didn't actually come from Nantucket. Um, so you have, some, you have some things like that. So the Patent and Trademark Office will look to see if your mark is actually distinctive. Um, obviously, the, 
the marks that are the strongest have no relation at all to the product or services that's provided. For example, Verizon. It's a made-up word, and it has the strongest trademark rights you could possibly imagine for telecom services. Um, you know, example. Another example would be Apple. You know, apples have absolutely nothing to do with computers, and so it's got a very strong trademark right. Um, you know, a more descriptive um, trademark might be Greyhound for buses. It kind of gives you the mental impression that they're fast, they're sleek, they're on time, they're moving quickly. Um, so if your mark is too descriptive, then um, the trademark office might deem it not descriptive enough to, to warrant trademark rights themselves. Well, that is disappointing to hear about at uh, um, Nectars there, Nantucket <laughs> Nectars. I love their trivial pursuit they have. I usually get it at Chipotle. And now I'm like, You're, you guys are complete fakes. This is not even a real, it's not from Nantucket. There's uh, there's all those trivia questions about Cape Cod and stuff. And now I'm, I'm just like, no, it's fake. It doesn't matter. Um, delicious though. Peach Absolutely. is my favorite there. Absolutely. Okay. So moving on there. So how long does a trademark last? Uh, on both the state and the federal level, protection can last indefinitely as long as you keep using the mark. Um, at the federal level, um, there are certain maintenance milestones that you have to hit. Um, typically between the fifth and the sixth year of registration, you have to file an affidavit indicating that you're still using the mark in commerce, provide the patent and trademark office with a specimen showing that you're still using it in commerce. And then you would have to do another maintenance between the ninth and 10th year of registration. And then if you continue to use the mark commercially, you would file a new, um, renewal, uh, every 10 years thereafter. So you could you could have a trademark that lasted indefinitely provided the company um, was still using it. On the state level, it varies from state to state. Um, in Colorado, typically we have to renew any trademarks um, after one year. All right, we need to take a short break, but when we come back, we'll be rejoined by Jay Kotzker, General Counsel of Strainwise Consulting. If you're in the break, check out their website, strainwiseconsulting.com. When we come back, we're going to talk about uh, further talk about trade secrets, trademarks, the increase in cannabis IP, and what that means for you and your business. Stay tuned. We'll see you back in a minute. Rolling into some sponsors, but we'll be right back with more Blunt Business. This is Bobby Black, host of Blazin, here to talk to you about 420 Science. I've known Matt and Gary from 420 Science for over a decade. We've spent a lot of time together at the Cannabis Cups in Amsterdam, the Doobie Awards in their hometown of Austin. They were even at my wedding. And I've always admired their integrity and how they've built 420 Science from the ground up to become the most trusted online head shop. Visit 420science.com slash podcast for an exclusive deal on pipes and more from genuine people who put their customers first. That's 420science.com slash podcast. The smoke is rising, and the next crop of podcasts devoted to cannabis providers and enthusiasts are ready to be harvested. Welcome to the Cannabis Radio Network, founded by respected rainmakers who have been producing award-winning podcasts for over a decade. Industry headlines, business updates, medical reports, marketing, and e-commerce education rolled up perfectly for your consumption. Let's grow together. The Cannabis Radio Network. CannabisRadio.com. Ignite the conversation on some trending topics along the Cannabis Radio social media network. Join our crew of thousands on our Cannabis Radio page on Facebook or at Canna Radio, C-A-N-N-A Radio on Twitter. 
Plus, look for our Facebook and Google Plus pages for all of our original programs and connect with Dr. Dina, Kyle Cushman, Dr. Mitch Earlywine, Nurse Heather, Doc Rob, the hosts of Gondrepreneur, and more. Connect with the growing Cannabis Radio Social Crusade at Canna Radio on Twitter or search for Cannabis Radio on Facebook, Google Plus, and Instagram and grow with us. I hope you didn't forget about us because we're back with Blunt Business on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back to Blunt Business. I'm your host, Sean Eubanks. We've been talking to Jay Kotzker, General Counsel of Strainwise Consulting. Welcome back, Jay. Thanks, Sean. All right. So if if I have a dispensary, am I able to trademark that? How can I protect it? Well, on the state level, uh, in states that uh, allow trademarks for cannabis goods and services, you would be able to protect it. On the federal level, however, um, because it requires to be you to be using the mark commercially in interstate commerce, um, any sort of trademark relating to um, marijuana itself, um, dispensaries, places that sell or grow or process or manufacture in any way manu- uh, marijuana would not be permitted. They would not be um, granted trademark rights. And that's because on the federal level, any sort of trademark um, any sort of cannabis use violates the Controlled Substances Act, um, which is interestingly um, why you cannot get state-level trademark rights in California. Their trademark laws are set up to mirror federal law, and because cannabis is illegal on the federal level, it, they will not allow uh, trademarks to be registered uh, in California either. I suspect with the, um, the development and advancement of regulations in California, they may look to address that. Um, but that'll be an interesting, um, interesting development down the road. Okay. And forgive me for this dumb question, but how do I protect my name if it's just a dispensary or, or what, what rights do I have there? Right. There's a lot of different ways that you can do that. Um, you can be creative. Obviously, there's a lot of things in a dispensary that are not um, cannabis or cannabis infused. Um, for example, you'll normally see hats and stickers and lighters and uh, grinders and, you know, T-shirts and everything else that that you would expect to find in a dispensary. All of that, because it does not contain cannabis, um, is not precluded from trademark rights under the Controlled Substances Act and the and the Federal Trademark Act. So you could get ancillary services and goods that you provide covered um, while not pr- protecting the the dispensary itself. Okay, and so for example, in a strainwise managed dispensary, we have our clothing articles, and retail space is a big part of, of every business. If you don't have that, uh, you need that in your in your dispensary. But so we put this we put the strainwise logo on T-shirts, and at that point, it's protected, right? Absolutely, not from the point that you put it on the T-shirt, but you know we have been able to secure federal trademark rights for a host of um, ancillary goods, such as like I said, lighters and glasses and sunglasses and hats and t-shirts and stickers and things like that. Okay. And so why do I need to focus on intellectual property? You know, this is a this is a really really expanding industry and the advantage that a lot of us have is that the big brands, the big um, you know, Miracle Grow and RJ Reynolds and all of those companies that we expect to move into this space aggressively in the coming years are not quite there yet because of the kind of federal uncertainty. So if you can develop an IP portfolio now for your cannabis business, you make your company that much more attractive um, later on when um, there is a lot of market consolidation. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the number one asset that many companies hold. I mean, it seems like it's just so important because 
there's a lot of consolidation in in the industry and there are people that are selling and buying and doing different things and if you haven't protected your ip you're kind of sol yeah absolutely and you got to remember like think back to the the early days of you know cannabis consumption prior to any sort of state regulation i mean people have been buying cannabis um based on a variety or a brand for many years maybe that variety or brand was was made up by the local dealer but people definitely knew that there were there were brands and varieties of cannabis and cannabis strains that they wanted to purchase. So as the, the industry matures, IP is going to be probably the main driver, uh, like it is in any other industry, to kind of separate your goods and your services um, and your, your products from your competitors. One of the things I think you're doing a great job of is just kind of relaying and, and comparing other industries and other big companies and how it might go because I, I love that you're there in, in cannabis we should be following following pharmaceutical food agriculture all the all the established industries and kind of seeing how they develop I, I love that you're tying all that back in absolutely and you know I have been guiding clients through intellectual property issues um, well before I got getting into the cannabis space and you know whether it's in the cannabis space or, or outside of it, companies that adopt a strong intellectual property strategy at the at the early stages of their business will usually heap uh, huge rewards in the future. Um, we've seen that in Colorado, um, where the bigger brands and the more um, the more noticed brands are increasing their market share. Um, I think there was articles just recently showing how um, the number of dispensaries being consolidated in a handful of large operators is just growing. So you're having branded stores and branding product um, on those shelves in those stores. And now it's being, you know, being driven by intellectual property um, and brand awareness. You know, and it makes sense. The people that are, that are ahead on this and are getting this correct are the ones that are going to be acquired. They're going to get the big payday when they get purchased because big pharma and big tobacco are not entering the industry. It's a legal situation. The status on the federal level, and you certainly don't blame them. They've got um, they've got large business portfolios that they need to protect. Um, but this is a perfect opportunity for you know smaller companies who are build their portfolio of patents, trademarks, copyrights, um, and in-house trade secrets that make their company um, such a valuable acquisition asset when these big companies do finally enter the industry. You know, and I think when they do, Jay, they're going to be looking to consolidate. They're looking to purchase. They're not looking to start over from scratch. And they're going to be looking at the people that are ready to go and are are already prepared and have taken the time to secure their IP. Absolutely. I mean, if you think about it, uh, a business is want, will want to acquire another business that has um, has market share, has a brand presence, has something that can easily translate to uh, an end consumer um, where a large acquisition is not going to be hampered because they recognize the brand and they don't care who necessarily owns that brand. They're going to be loyal to that brand. And like almost every aspect in cannabis industry, there, there's basically there's some unique issues that the cannabis industry faces. But a lot of this is is can be found in other industries. Right. Absolutely. Um, and, and there are some unique issues. I think we talked about that briefly with um, you know the Patent and Trademark Office not accepting or not granting any trademark protection for cannabis products because they're illegality under federal law. So unlike trademarks that can't be granted any sort of trademark protection for cannabis products because of their illegality under federal law, um, patents on the other hand don't require a commercial use to be shown. So the federal government, while it looks like it might be talking out of both sides of its mouth saying, hey, we're not going to grant you trademark rights because 
um, you can't be doing something illegal in commerce. They will grant you patent rights because those patent rights are the right to exclude others from using it or making it or selling it. Um, they're not necessarily granting you rights to make it or use it or sell it. So that co- uh, the, the use in commerce provision is really the, the hitch there. A mark that covers actual cannabis products like plants or edibles cannot be federally registered, even if it does not include the word cannabis, correct? Right, correct. Um, it doesn't really matter what's in the mark itself. Uh, obviously, you're not going to want to put a marijuana leaf or a green cross or something like that in your trademark um, for a number of other reasons that we can talk about later. But even if the mark itself is for something um, that doesn't include any sort of uh, identifier that it is a marijuana product, if the product itself contains marijuana or a derivative uh, of marijuana such that it would violate the Controlled Substances Act, the trademark office will not approve it. But a mark that references cannabis may be allowable if it's used on goods that are not themselves illegal under federal law, right? That's right. For example, um, and you know, for example, let's let's say that there was a grow light and it said, you know, bud maximizer or something. Um, to give the impression that, hey, this light, you use it and you're going you're, you're gonna to obtain uh, amazing yields. Um, because that light itself doesn't contain marijuana, it's not a, a marijuana byproduct, it can be used for other things, um, you could certainly have you know, secure federal trademark rights for the, the brand name of that grow light. Okay, and so there's a lot of uh, people in the industry getting getting smart, and, and there are companies that kind of, for simplicity's sake, for here on the radio, you're divided into a company that touches the plant and a company that does not touch the plant. The ones that – can we simplify that? Is that okay? Sure. We, okay. So the ones that are not touching the plant, they can, oddly enough, have the word cannabis and specific bud or you know bud maximizer and all these things. So that's, that's an, a huge advantage that they have. Well, it certainly is. Obviously, um, when you're providing ancillary goods and services, those goods and services can be um, provided to a number of other industries, not not specific cannabis industries. Um, for example, Strainwise itself, even though it provides services to the regulated cannabis market, um, it's able to secure federal trademark rights for its consulting services and its branding services um, because they are can be provided to other businesses and it and the company itself does not touch the plant. Now, you, you mentioned earlier that California will not allow a state registration to cover can- cannabis products that are illegal under federal law, but most states with legalized cannabis do allow state trademarks for cannabis products like obviously Washington, Oregon, Colorado, or Pennsylvania. That's right. Um, and as we touched on briefly, I think that it'll be interesting to see how California's trademark law develops over the course of the next year or two as um, state regulations come online. Um, like, as I mentioned, the California um, law says that their trademark law must be consistent with federal law. And because federal law said that any sort of use in commerce of cannabis violates the Controlled Substances Act uh, and won't allow federal trademarks, California is adopting that same policy currently. And the USPTO has held that it will grant patents for cannabis-related inventions. Uh, Talk about the legal purpose restriction and what does that mean? Right. The legal purpose um, does not apply under the patent laws. For example, um, as we we talked about under trademarks, you have to be using the the product um, or selling the product in interstate commerce legally um, because, obviously, because of the Controlled Substances Act, Doing that with any sort of marijuana or marijuana-infused product um, 
it violates that legal purpose. And as we mentioned earlier, because patents don't require you to be selling it or making it or using it, they really just grant you the right to exclude others from doing that. Um, the Patent and Trademark Office has been granting cannabis patents. Do you recommend that your colleagues who are in who are specialized in IP that they go after um, trying to patent these plant varieties? Well, ultimately, it's not the uh, it's not the attorneys who would be really driving this, but the industry itself. Um, if you've got some boutique cultivators, or you've got some some really um, um, in-depth um, R&D departments who are developing new and useful and non-obvious strains that can be used to address specific um, issues, then yes, I think what you're going to see is, is the IP revolution in the cannabis space is really going to take off. Okay, and so these patents are obviously enforced by suing an infringer, infringer in federal court, but, but is that uh, can they decline to enforce that, and would that make sense for them to do it? Right, and that's kind of the sticking point um, with respect to cannabis patents. So you you do have a legal right uh, to enforce your patents, but because you would likely be suing someone in federal court, which a patent gives you access to, um, it you may find a federal court decline to hear a case or dismiss a case because of the illegal nature of the of the product at issue. Um, we haven't specifically seen that yet. Um, but a federal court may decline to enforce a cannabis patent right now. We just don't know. Okay, and can you speak to the timing of patents, how long they last, and, and um, you know the time frame? Because we think cannabis will be legal within the next 20 years, but you've got 20 years for a patent. That's right. Like we talked about, the patents last 20 years. Um, so there's a very high likelihood that um, cannabis becomes federally legal before a patent would expire, uh, at which time you know maybe you have a greater likelihood of success uh, enforcing them in federal court. So the opportunity to start um, securing these patent rights from to build your IP portfolio is now uh, understanding that the rights that you hold, especially in the patent space, um, will extend likely um, into the year, into the years where it's legal on the federal level. And so if I hear you correctly, you're not going to be able, if you wait, you're not going to be able to uh, seek patent protection after it's already legal. Right, and you would be able to for for new strains or new um, um, plant varieties that are created once it becomes federally legal. But anything that you're developing now um, won't be protectable, likely because of that one-year time bar. So, like I said before, you have to file your patent application within one year of selling or, or publicly disclosing your invention. So, if you have a product that you've developed now and you want to wait to secure uh, patent rights until it becomes federally legal, that one-year bar will likely prevent you from doing so. Okay. And then uh, we talked a little bit about patents for growing methods. Is there anything else you want to add to that? Uh, yeah, there have been a number of patents um, that have been issued for growing methods themselves. Um, there's one that was just recently issued in August of 2015, and it's called a Sustainable Aquaponic System and method for growing plants like medical cannabis. And it's all and it and it's really all about the the method for growing in an aquaponic system. And this method is is new and novel and non-obvious for a number of different reasons, but the method itself is protectable. So the sustainable aquaponic system, that's when um, that's when you have live fish in there and they're and they're using the excrement to basically fertilize the plants? Right. The claim itself reads, um, it's a sustainable aquaponic system comprising of a man-made pond connected by a pump 
of a plurality of man-made raceways, each raceway lined with tarp and containing a variety of plant species, including blue algae to remove waste materials. And it goes on and on and on. Um, and it's very technical. Um, patent claims like this are, are drafted by um, very well-educated, very intelligent patent attorneys who know how to make their patent claims as broad as possible. Um, so in this case, we're talking about the system itself. It goes into how the plants are arranged in these tarps, um, how fish or other um, algae and other um, items in the water itself will remove contaminants, will fertilize the plants, and um, it was able to secure protection. I would love to see that uh, aquaponics on a commercial level. I, I think it's one thing if you're growing 10 or 12 plants at a time, but if you're growing 10 or 12,000, you're going to have some, some issues there. Um, okay, so talk about the increase in the spike in patent applications under cannabis and what that looks like. Right. So, you know, tracking back, um, you know, a num you know, 15, 20 years, uh, what we've seen is the number of published patent applications with cannabis in the title or the abstract, which is uh, a brief description of what the patent contains, have skyrocketed. Um, what you've seen basically since 2013 is that patent, um, published patent applications have increased from um, around 25 all the way up to close to 90 um, towards the end of 2016. So it's an industry that's growing and it's become increasingly aware of the rights that it can secure and people are aggressively moving in that direction. Okay, and we're almost out of time here. Just tell me a little bit about how you can use IP to your advantage and, and what people listening need to do next. Right, um, on the cultivation side, growers and breeders, um, they should try to implement a comprehensive IP strategy um, that encompasses a lot of different IP avenues, whether it's trade secrets, whether it's plant patents, whether it's um, trademarks or copyrights, um, to protect their innovations right now. Okay, and what are the typical costs associated with plant uh, patents? Uh, it typically costs around $2,000, ranging up to about $6,000. Um, and as we said before, it takes about two years to get the patent allowed. Um, during the pendency of that patent application, however, you do have some priority rights against other people later coming into the industry. Um, you've seen on, on a number of goods and, and things, it says patent pending, and then it'll list the, the patent application number. Okay, and I think people listening here are thinking, wow, this guy Jay's smart. How do I get in touch with him? Are there services he's available? Unfortunately, you're one of the busiest guys that I know. Uh, it's amazing that, that and I'm truly grateful that you're able to sit here for an hour with us and, and, and talk. Um, but what would you recommend that they do? Just just uh, contact Stringwise Consulting as a consultant and then they get you as a part of those services? Or, how, or would you be available just to help with IP? Right. Because I'm not um, working as, uh, as an attorney for a specific client, I wouldn't be able to provide specific legal advice. However, we could talk in generalities about the best methods for developing an IP protection strategy. Um, we could make referrals with um, IP-specific attorneys in the, in the states in which these, these clients operate, and we could gui generally guide them through the process and at least get them thinking about um, how IP um, really interplays into their business model, how it provides extreme value to their business, and how they can go about starting to protect that. Okay, and I can't let you off the hook. i got to ask you a couple of personal questions here to get to know you. Why, what brought you to this industry, and what's your why for doing this? You know, I really started um, servicing a couple of clients that were in the industry um, back when um, it was an, a medical-only industry. Uh, I found that those clients were very forward-thinking 
in how they were developing a brand around something that was so new um, and so um, taboo at the time. Um, they had really spent uh, a good amount of energy and resources and time into developing an IP strategy, which was so forward thinking at the time that it really drew me to help uh, to want to help to protect uh, to protect their brands and to help them um, move that brand protection uh, in onto a new level. Okay, and last question for you: Besides federal legalization, what is your greatest hope for the industry? I would hope that um, state trademark light, uh, rights uh, come in line um, with each other, so that businesses who are offering products and services in various different states are able to secure. Uh, equal trademark rights in those states. For example, if you were able to obtain a trademark right uh, in Colorado for a, a brand of dispensary, um, I would I would hope that you'd be able to somehow protect your business in California um, from from poachers. Well, I want to thank you all for joining us on this edition of Blunt Business. Our guest was Jay Kotzer, General Counsel of Strainwise Consulting. It has been an enlightening conversation. I appreciate you coming on, my friend. My pleasure, Sean. Thank you. You can download episodes of our program by going to CannabisRadio.com, BluntBusinessRadio.com, or subscribing to our show on iTunes, Stitcher, and now iHeartRadio. Until next time, friends, have a great day. Opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited. Hear that? Is that America cheering or a sausage patty sizzling to perfection? It's time to cheer for Egg McMuffin and fresh cracked eggs at McDonald's. It's time to wake up to the aroma of freshly baked biscuits and treat yourself to a real honest-to-goodness morning meal. Breakfast, it's on at McDonald's. Now enjoy a large iced coffee for just 2 bucks and a breakfast sandwich to make a meal. Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Help Jews in Poverty at HelpJewsNow.org. Your $25 gift today will help provide a life-saving food box to Jews in need. Be a blessing right now. Visit HelpJewsNow.org. That's HelpJewsNow.org. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.